Hey, welcome back, everybody, to our Crosspoint Church Scripture Podcast. Um, we're still looking for suggestions on the name, but hey, we're working with what we got. Um, this is only our second episode, so I hope you guys enjoyed the first. And I've already gotten some text and an email feedback, good stuff. So I really appreciate that. If you guys want to give any questions or feedback at all about things you hear on here or uh, scriptures you'd like to hear on here, uh, just email me at jserra at thecrosspoint.com. Can't promise you anything, but I love to read the feedback and will do my absolute best to get back to you. Okay, so let's get into it. As we mentioned in the first episode, we will usually take uh, the verse of the day uh, from version. It's just such a great help to us as we try to get in scripture every day, or at least it's been a good help to me. And so um, we'll take the verse of the day, and what we'll do is we're going to look at it three ways, And because I want to train all of us to begin to look at the Bible this way, because I think it'll be helpful. So as a reminder, the first way we're going to look at it is, what is the context? We want to see what came before and after, and then maybe even the larger context of the book it's in, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, that kind of thing. And so some verses before, some after. What will that do? That'll put it back in. It's like a thread in a big, beautiful blanket. And if you rip out one thread uh, just to look at it closer, you could see reasons to do that. But if you want to see the whole, you need to put that thread back in its context and see. So scripture is the same way, and so we're always going to practice doing that. The second way we're always going to look, we're going to say, what did the original author mean to say to his original audience? That can keep us from taking scriptures and just applying them uh, in the wrong context to our situation. Uh, All scripture is good for us. All scripture has something to do with your life, and all scripture can help you with your walk with God. But if you try to take it out of the meaning that the original author had, then you're going against the Holy Spirit's inspiration for that particular scripture. And of course, we don't want to do that. It's just easy to do if we don't practice making sure we know what the original inspired author meant to say. And then the last thing we're going to do is we believe all scripture points towards Jesus. We believe it because Jesus said it. One of the easiest places to see it is in the Gospels where he tells the Pharisees, all the scriptures point to me. You search them because you think you have life in them, but they all point to me and you refuse to come to me that you might have life. And so we're always going to keep that as a guiding light and say, okay, if all scripture in some way points towards Jesus, the Son of God, then let's see if we can't see that in each verse, okay? So today's version verse of the day was came from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. 2 Corinthians is a, a letter by the Apostle Paul. Uh, you'll find it right after Romans and 1 Corinthians, and then comes 2 Corinthians. Um, Romans is right after Acts. So you got your four Gospels in the New Testament, then Acts, then Romans, then 1 Corinthians, which comes right before 2 Corinthians, okay? So if you're looking for it in your own Bible, that's where you'll find it. So first, let's read the verse, and then we'll look at our three ways. So chapter 7, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians, uh, reading from the ESV, says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So, again, a great reminder for reading a Bible verse. I mean, already you can tell there's a lot in here. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Oh, man, I want that. I want repentance that leads to salvation. That sounds good for me without regret. So I'm interested. And then it says a warning, whereas worldly grief produces death. I want to avoid that. So uh, what's so important about reading a powerful Bible verse is, oh, we got to put it in context. We can understand how it applies to us. And what's great about the context of this verse is this puts us into a little uh, drama. Okay, 
So if you're familiar at all with the Corinthian church, so it was a church that Paul, the Apostle Paul planted and got going, and then there was some drama. So uh, when you read 1 Corinthians, you get introduced to this world where, oh, Pastor Paul has to deal with some issues uh, in the Corinthian church. And so it's always interesting because sometimes you could be at your own church, yes, even Crosspoint, and you think, man, do other churches have issues like my church does? Yes, they did. Right off the bat from the Apostle Paul on forward. There was, you know, living for Jesus, following God. It's It involves you in drama and issues. So that's just the way it is. But there's solutions for it. And we know that because Paul got involved in it. So what am I talking about? Well, in the first uh, letter to the Corinthians, so we're talking about the bigger context of this verse now. There's a lot of issues going on in this church, but the one that's significant for us is there was a man who wasn't caught in a secret sin, so it's not one of those things. It wasn't like he was trying to hide it. He was boldly and proudly saying it was okay with God for him to marry his mother-in-law. I'm not making it up. We'll go back and we'll read a little bit from there. I'm not making it up. He was married to his mother-in-law, and he was um, saying, this is cool with God, and it needs to be cool with you guys, and he was kind of like an honored member of their church there. So there was drama. (laughs) And so the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, not only are you guys, you Corinthians are bragging about yourselves and there's divisions among you. You really have to read 1 Corinthians if you've never read it before. He's saying, you guys are bragging about yourselves. You think you're super spiritual. But I've heard there's a man who's married to his mother-in-law and you got, and he's an accepted, proud member of your church. So in 1 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 1, he says this. It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. Did you know there was that kind of drama in the Bible? He says, For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So Paul tells him, he says, This guy cannot be an honored member of your community there. When he's living in open sin like this and just rejecting God's ways, he needs to be removed from your community. So you remember now our, our chapter 7, verse 10 verse here in 2 Corinthians is about godly repentance. So now you can see, you know, you're at least getting a glimpse now of the um, context because Paul has to address this idea of sin and repentance big time to the Corinthians. Now you might be thinking, removed from their community, what is this? You know, that sounds, what is that? That sounds crazy. Is this children of the corn or what's going on here? Removed from their community. And it does sound a little harder. It sounds a little different, except think about this now. In almost every human culture, and definitely in America, if you break cultural rules, if you are a danger, a big enough danger to your culture by something you do, say like armed robbery or assault or making threats, something along those lines, then we remove you from the community for a set amount of time. It's supposed to help you repent and change your ways and remove the danger from the community. And what's that called? It's called prison. (laughs) It's called getting arrested and removed from your general community because your behavior is a danger to the welfare of the people around you. So it sounds a little strange from the Bible, disfellowshipping this guy, getting rid of this guy, unless he repents. But listen, it may sound a little strange in the Bible, but it's something that we agree to as Americans every day. It's a big part of our culture, and it helps to keep um, keep people safe and keep the American way, so to speak, going forward. And so it sounds a little different in biblical times, but it's it's a lot the same. So there you go. I take a little bit of time to explain that uh, context because I think it's really interesting. It gives us a deep look at, at some things going on in the Bible. So that's the context. So he deals with that, and what happens is the Corinthians, they get this letter, they read it from Paul, and among the other corrections he get, he brings, they notice this one about disfellowshipping the guy, so they do. They say, man, you got to go. you got to repent or you got to go. 
So the guy gets disfellowshipped. Then we learn in from Second Corinthians that he repents. He's sorry. He says, okay, I see it was wrong. It's not Jesus's way for me to be married to my mother-in-law. So then he says, I'm good. I repent. And then maybe it seems like the Corinthians were so enthusiastic about this fellowship in the guy that when he repents, they won't let him back in. Now, we don't know that for sure, but it seems to be from Second Corinthians because Paul's encouraging them, hey, re, you know, forgive the guy, restore him. Why, Paul? Well, that brings us to our verse. Okay, so watch this. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So Paul's trying to help them understand the difference between two different ways of feeling bad for your sin. And he's saying, hey, this guy has repented, so let him back in. Now, how do I know that? Let's look again now. We looked at the big context. Let's look at the smaller context. So going to 2 Corinthians verse 7. He says this, starting at verse 8. So chapter 7, verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, so that's the first letter he's talking about where he corrects him. I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you. So he didn't want to hurt his friends. He had to say some hard things, though. Though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. I, it didn't make Paul happy to hurt them, but because you were grieved into repenting. You changed your ways. You disfellowshiped the guy, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. And then comes our verse, godly grief produces repentance, no regret, and uh, worldly grief, sorrow. And then verse 11, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, Corinthians, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in this matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, that's the man married to his mother-in-law, nor was it for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. So Paul saying, my only point, the context is, Paul is saying, I wrote to correct you because I wanted to cause you conviction and sorrow that would lead you to change your ways, and it has. So no more sorrow, because it was the only point. No more guilt. No more grief. Okay? If you're feeling bad over your sin in such a way that it leads you to change, that it leads you to say, God, I'll do what it takes to repent. I love you, and I'm tired of being this way. Show me these actions. Teach me how to repent. Then verse 10 says, that kind of that's godly grief. Now, what about worldly grief that produces death? That's why Paul is warning them not to be grieved anymore, because you can hate yourself for your sin. You can look in the mirror and say, I'm a loser. I'm, a, I'm trash. I'm a waste of time. I'm a bad person. Probably God hates me. And guess what? That is not helping you. That's not repentance. That's not the Holy Spirit telling you you're the worst sinner ever and that, and that he hates you. God would never say that to you. He loves you. He'll convict you of sin, but as a good father, he just wants repentance for you. So he's warning us, and this is a good warning. I've experienced this in my life, and you probably have too. Worldly grief produces just death in your life. You'll separate yourself from your community. You'll start avoiding other Christians. You'll avoid the Bible because it reminds you of God. And that's not the point. You'll avoid church and sermons and worship because this worldly grief in you is just producing death in your life. That's why it says death. You're dying to the Bible, dying to your church community. And that is not the point, okay? And we know that from the verse. So Paul is saying, I wrote you a hard letter, and I told you to disfellowship that guy only for repentance. That was the whole point, was to bring you all back together and to bring that man back to life and to bring your church back to me 
and to God. So it was only for that and not for worldly grief, okay? So see how much the context helps us there. And again, because this is a New Testament letter, it gets pretty easy to see what the original author was trying to say to the original audience. So it's kind of included there in the context. What Paul was trying to communicate to his original audience was things like disfellowshipping and hard letters and repentance are meant to bring repentance, which will cause you to change your life and not be filled with regret. It's not meant to bring Corinthian church, and I would also say Cross Point Church. It's not meant to bring this worldly grief that just causes you to die and wander away from your community and your small group and things like that. So that was the original thing. Now, can we see Jesus in these verses? I think we can. Now, there's a lot of ways you can see Christ in verses, and it gets and it's pretty easy in Paul's letters. But uh, one thing that occurred to me as I was looking at these, so we'll read it one more time. Chapter 7, verse 10, 2 Corinthians. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. So the one thing we can see in this is when we know that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins, when we're looking at the cross, we're looking at the Son of God on the cross, we are looking at the cost of our sin. Our separation from God, the world separation from God, cost the death of the innocent Son of God. So when we look at the cross, sometimes we will be condemned. We think, oh, Jesus was shown was given to the world to show us how bad we are. But see, that only misses that misses the point. That was the first thing, yes, to be convicted of our sin. But the second thing was when you look on Jesus, you see the cost, but you see God's open arms of mercy. Jesus was not only the cost of sin, he was also the open heart, the open arms of God saying, the only reason I am publishing your sin in front of you and showing you the cost is so that I can, you can see I've turned my wrath away from you and you're welcome back home. Come home and be with me. It's for restoration. It causes repentance that leads to life and no regret. How can we know that? Because in John 3.16, it's a lot of people's favorite verse, and you know what it says. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him could have eternal life and not perish. Do you see that? So that was the only. that's where we see Jesus in these verses. Um, Jesus causes us godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, not regret that leads to death. And that's why it says in 17, 317, that the Son of God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life and that more abundantly. And so that's what we see in these verses, a way we can see Jesus Christ in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Okay, well, one of the hardest things for uh, pastors to do is to just stop talking, but that's what I'm going to do now. I hope you've seen uh, something cool in these verses, and I know ha- I have too. Um, the email address, jserra at thecrosspoint.com. If you have any questions about our verse or suggestions for verses to, care, uh, to cover or any questions or feedback on our podcast, And, of course, I want to thank our sound and recording engineer, Easton Walker, for making this happen. And I appreciate all you guys at Cross Point Church.